in the aftermath of state environmental officials adopting updated water quality standards in and around New York City, a coalition of environmental groups are urging the Hochul administration to go even further, specifically when it comes to sewage overflows. For more on this issue, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Dan Shapley, Senior Director of Advocacy, Policy, and Planning for Riverkeeper, which is part of the partnership urging additional environmental protections. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you. Glad to be here. So for starters, what, if anything, should we know about the water quality standards for primary and secondary contact recreation that were published in mid-October by the State Department of Environmental Conservation? For example, what bodies of water, generally speaking, do they impact and what are they trying to regulate, big picture speaking? So this rule establishes new water quality criteria for all saline waters in the in the state, which means um, all the ocean waters, Long Island Sound, all around New York City, and up the Hudson River as far as the Bear Mountain Bridge. And what they are focused on is recreational water quality, which essentially means how much sewage can be in the water or not in the water to keep us safe when we're engaged in recreation. What we see the impact of these criteria in the uh, suburban stretch of the Hudson River, uh, these criteria will prompt some upgrades to sewage infrastructure so that those discharges of treated sewage will meet a higher standard. That's good. They won't have much of effect around Long Island Sound or the ocean just because those are already sort of at a certain uh, level of protection. But where this really comes in and where we're really focused is the waters around New York City, where these could have great effect if um, the next steps uh, that the DEC takes and and that New York City takes are aligned with the goal of promoting more recreation and safe swimming and less overflow of sewage. Or what we're worried about is if they uh, paper over the current state of affairs, the current status quo, and allow for continued overflows into the future. Yeah, when you think about the regulations that we just got, and in terms of the opportunity that we had here, are there other avenues that you wish had been explored or more rigorous levels of detection, say, of sewage that you were looking for? What do you think of that? The good thing is they modernize uh, the state's criteria. They bring them into alignment with EPA guidelines and and current science. They could have been more protective. Um, The EPA provides two options for states to adopt the modern criteria. New York chose the less protective of the two. Um, And they've set up a, a system that allows for different levels of pollution in different waters based on how they're used, whether they're for swimming or for paddling, and whether they're affected by those combined sewage overflows, which can and does cause unsafe water after rain. So they've kind of set up a new system that would allow for waters to be recognized as meeting uh, standards in dry weather, but not in wet weather. And now the devil will be in the details about whether that's applied in a way that helps to see improvements made to those waters so that we have more swimming and more safe recreation over time, or whether the status quo gets reinforced with just a new set of paper. You mentioned the idea that there are different standards based on what a body of water is utilized for. Does the state use realistic ideas when it comes to if a body is going to be used for, say, swimming, or are they more cautious in terms of the potential for, say, swimming? Are there bodies of water that people might want to swim in, but they're not necessarily going to be able to because, for example, state environmental officials are setting standards that aren't safe for swimming? 
the law actually requires that saline waters meet uh, swimmable, the swimmable test. That's the Clean Water Act test. And that actually was really fundamental to the, of the lawsuit that we brought several years ago that is sort of unwinding in the form of setting these new standards. So we have had the position, the EPA has had the position all along that these waters need to meet that swimmable goal and need to meet that criteria for safe swimming as because these standards are an ex, in under the clean water act these are really the goal setting it w w it's not a definition of what the current water quality is necessarily it's what we want it to be and what it should be and how then we upgrade infrastructure to meet those goals um, but the state has uh, maintained a different position that, and uh and so it has adopted this approach where it's setting different uh, criteria that allow for higher levels of pollution in waters that are uh, for paddling rather than swimming. Now, to the question about the data that it used, it um, it used its own data as well as data that we submitted about where people are using the water. So it, it used good data. Um, all of that data is is sort of, um, we think of it as breadcrumbs. It's, it's like as much information as we could gather within the window of time that the comment period was open in order to inform the state. Um, they, so they're, they're earnestly looking at that data and using it uh, to be able to say, okay, we know people are swimming here. We know they're paddling here. We know, you know, they're, they're, they are using that data. We do think that there's more use of the waters that just is, is hard to document or hasn't been documented yet. And to that point, I just need to say, there are eight and a half million New Yorkers. There's 520 miles of coastline. I, I, you know, I say this all the time, but I have a 12 year old son. I've watched him grow up over these years, kids especially, but all people are drawn to water. We want to be near water. We want to be in water. It is inherent to being human that you want to get in the water. So if those waters were safe, if there were safe access, if the water quality was safe, we would have swimming all over. And you see cities like Paris and London and elsewhere reach even, you know, big urban cities um, reaching for these goals and providing that access to swimming within uh, the bounds of our biggest cities. We can do that and we should be doing that here. And that's the vision that we're reaching for. That's what we're trying to do. This is a step towards that. And we're trying to get the state to do its part to help to, to reach that vision. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining us. Uh, we're talking about water quality standards in and around New York City. And our guest is Dan Shapley, Senior Director of Advocacy, Policy and Planning for Riverkeeper. In a press release, Riverkeeper and Save the Sound note that 21 billion gallons per year of raw sewage mixed with uh, polluted stormwaters flow into New York City waters every year. Can you provide some context for the listeners to, to what that actually means? Is that 21 billion gallons out of, I don't know, 10 trillion gallons? So, hey, it's just a tiny percentage. Or does that represent a, a meaningful number and really speaks to how contaminated that water is and, and maybe how far we are from being able to, say, swim in it? Yeah. I, well, I think the number speaks for itself in that I think anyone can appreciate that that's gross, right? Uh, again, just coming back to a very human level, like we get that that's gross. We, all of our clean water laws, going back to the Pure Water Bond Act in, in, in New York State and the Clean Water Act after it, you know, 50, 60 years of policy, we've always just been saying like, let's not just dump our sewage, let's treat it. So I think just at a fundamental level, it is it's it's grossly wrong that we do this. That's our That's a fundamental position. I think that 
every New Yorker agrees with at a basic level. Um, and yes, we know that the water, there are um, water quality impacts in, in, this, in the sense that there are waters that are unsafe for swimming um, frequently uh, after rain. And it differs by which part of the city you're talking about, uh, which waters are uh, unsafe for longer or shorter periods of time after that rain. Um, but it's a pretty uh, common state of affairs in New York City that, it, you know, all around in many areas, many shorelines after rain, uh, it's unsafe for, for periods of time. And we saw that the impact of that just uh, earlier this month, the New York City Triathlon, the biggest open water swimming event of the year, thousands of people in the water, you know, this shining, you know, uh, example of, of, you know, excitement around New York City where where people are racing on the roads and they're swimming in the river and it was and the swim portion was canceled. Second time in three years, it's been canceled because mm -hmm. of poor water quality. So um, so it, that's just an, an example um, of what we what we see as the, uh, the you know, the impact and the and the um, uh, the lost opportunity from from uh, the water quality problems that we still have. If state environmental officials were to heed the call of Riverkeeper, what is the timeline for potentially having waterways in and around New York City that are swimmable? What sort of time frame should we be thinking about? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's going to be different by different water body, um, uh, but based on the conditions and the you know the 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 level of discharges that are happening, New York City itself for the first time set the goal of eliminating sewage overflows in its Plan YC uh, document that it just put out earlier this year. It, it set the goal uh, the year twenty sixty for that goal. And the, the the problem, and we love that goal. That's a great goal. Um, and twenty sixty seems far off, but that you know that's 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 probably ambitious, even despite. Um, what we see, though, unfortunately, is on the ground the actual decisions that the New York City DEP makes, and the actual pushback it gives to any state regulation and to any um, push that we make or others make to to um, invest in more sewage infrastructure. That there is a wide, wide gulf between that stated goal and the actual commitments. And I'll give you an example. Um, the plan to reduce sewage overflows into the Hudson River along the Manhattan shoreline. Um, the DEP, again, New York City agency, put together a plan to reduce overflows by 1% in the next 10 years. The DEC signed off on that plan uh, at the state level. So the city proposed it, the state approved it, 1% reduction in 10 years. So when the plan is, is complete and they say that we have done the job, 800 million gallons per year of combined sewage overflow will continue every year thereafter. So what we're trying to do fundamentally is change the status quo where we're saying that's not good enough. It's not good enough in the Hudson. It's not good enough in the East River, the Harlem River, Westchester Creek, Flushing Creek, all around the city um, where we need to reduce these overflows. If, again, the state does put in more meaningful water quality standards that you're looking for, who does implementation fall on? Is this a state problem? Is this a private water utility issue? Is this something about infrastructure for municipalities along waterways? Who, who's going to bear the, the cost of making these upgrades? Yeah, this is, uh, well, this is New York City infrastructure. It's a city sewer pipes, city stormwater pipes. 
um, the question of of who pays and you know who pays at the at the level of of government. There's an interesting debate going right on right now about whether the um, state and federal dollars are flowing enough to New York City or whether the barriers to spending some of those infrastructure monies in, in New York City are are uh, preventing uh, a fair share. But in reality, like the investments are are will that will be needed are so large that it'll have to be a combination of state federal and and city investments to get us there but it's ultimately the city's responsibility to upgrade and and maintain its own infrastructure in terms of how the costs get distributed there is a state law that we are uh, will be pushing again this year uh, water bill fairness act and that essentially um right sizes the cost by uh the amount of pavement or rooftop that that uh, a landowner is responsible for so that uh rates aren't just sent uh, sets, for instance, based on how much drinking water is consumed, which is often sort of the the basis for uh, the the pay rate, but instead recognizes that you might not be drinking a lot of water on a big you know uh, big box store parking lot, let's say, but that's producing a lot of stormwater that's causing a lot of sewage overflows, and that's where a lot of the cost of investment needs to go. So that that property needs to pay its fair share. So we're we're looking to enact that legislation to help to make sure as we uh, uh, succeed in in uh, securing the commitment to some of these investments that the cost is borne equitably. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. We've been speaking with Dan Shapley, Senior Director of Advocacy, Policy, and Planning for Riverkeeper. Dan, thank you so much for making the time. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.